This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition. With exclusive articles from Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn, the Jesus Bible lifts Jesus up as the lead story of the Bible. It is available as a full study Bible, as well as available as individual Bible journals. Find out more at www.thejesusbible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. So, uh, Jeff, do you have more questions there? Well, yeah, no, I think, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's a tempting position because this is child sacrifices. And I, the, I think actually the verses 12 to 28 is a good argument for it. He, he's very familiar with the history, so he would have been familiar. And the fact that, oh, hold on here. How does he not know that I could turn back in this vow? There was provision made to get out of this vow. So I think that's uh, one of the strongest things for, for John's position. And yet, I think sometimes people, yeah, I took the view that he should have known, but was so desensitized with the culture around him, should have known God's word more and then could apply it in, in that way. Because uh, uh, this, more than any of the other sections, does lead to probably different application uh, uh, in, in some ways. But that's... Uh, yeah. So, so I think it would be good to talk about. I don't know if y'all want to do it here or if y'all want to do it in application about when you do preach this uh, in your context. If you take the so, John, you've preached it both ways. When you do take sacrifice, child sacrifice, how do you preach it? And so, would y'all want to talk about that in application, or do y'all want to go ahead and talk about it now as a, as how you would address a textual issue? We can we can address it now. I mean, I'd love yeah. So Jeff, Jeff, yeah. So how did you kind of? In some ways, make an apologetic for that and Hebrews eleven. I mean, you've, you've you've hit on it a little bit already with just flaw, which we've said all along, flawed. Yeah, and that's the purpose of faith. That all of us are flawed. Yeah, uh, save one. But how did you kind of try to apologetically work through that? I basically said he then was acting like the other nations who did have these practices, and we saw as it was mentioned. They were serving all these other gods, so possibly they were doing child sacrifice already, and he had become desensitized and was acting, slipped back into acting, made a foolish, rash vow, and he should have known that God's a God of grace, and he could have got out of that, but this is the the tragedy of it. He didn't realize that uh, God is a gracious God who would have allowed him to be forgiven of a f- foolish vow. That's the line I took. So I, I, I admit, said he was seriously flawed here, and yet God used him to, to rescue the Israelites. So I don't know if that properly answers your question, but uh, yeah, I think he did a terrible act that he could have got out of, was foolish, rash. There was provision in the made, uh, in the law for that to be changed, and uh, he didn't partake of it so whereas then we we got still a god of second chances uh to us today and could apply it in that way he didn't know the true god properly 
in many ways is what you know he knew about God. But which is a bit like chapter ten. You could say they knew about God, they cried out to him, but they didn't properly turn from their sin. He might know about God and he might know the history, but you can know about God without actually obeying the law, and that was sort of more where I took with him. <clears throat> yeah, John, I want to get your thoughts. It's funny thinking about an animal coming out of the house because in that day, it's like the the dogs are the ones eating Jezebel, so uh, right. they're not necess- they're not necessarily house pets. But uh, how did you address this apologetically when you preached it the first time? Well, I agree. So, well, I I basically took a similar approach to Jeff. I the whole sermon the first time was about pagan paganism and um, how we how we try to bargain with God and manipulate as if as if he's like pagan deities that requires these, um, you know, these rituals or whatever to get to, to strong arm him into doing what we want him to do. And, um, and so I, and then focusing on, you know, he's a, he's a God of grace. And, and even that I do want to say like troubling for me, for, for Jeff's view, as I work through this this time is that the old Testament commending him, which again is not just Hebrews 11, but I don't want to say, as abominable as child sacrifice is, uh, I still think it can be covered by the blood of the lamb. And so I, that's how I preached it the first time is just like, mm. man, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And look how gracious God is. You, he does not, he does not need to be manipulated. You don't need to try to treat him, you know, like, like he's, he's somebody who demands this, this sacrifice in order for him to respond favorably to you. And, and so that's how I that's how I approached it the first time is just he yeah he's a god of grace he's a god of love despite our incredible flaw flaws and um, and so you can you can trust him with that and be and be confident um, and so I think that that's how I think you would approach the apologetic in in the mm-hmm. the human sacrifice view. Good. Any other uh, textual issues y'all want to bring up before going to Christ the Christ centered application or in, interpretation? All right, so Jeff, why don't you jump in first then? How did you point this to Christ? Some of it already slightly been covered, but I mean, Jephthah points to Christ uh, in the many ways we've mentioned already, how he was rejected by his own people, cast out, uh, and then was ultimately raised up to be rescued. And Jephthah was uh, pointing to Jesus, Jesus who was cast out, rejected by his own people, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and yet he was then used and raised up uh, to to rescue God's people. So, but brought it to Christ, uh, myself, ultimately through Jephthah being a type of Christ, uh, rejected, and uh, and yet then Christ is the unflawed rescuer, and also Showing that God's a God of grace, God's a God of second chances. He, what he should have done was accepted God's means of uh, getting out of the vow and through, uh, and there was provisions made for that. And and we need to remember that God's gracious. He isn't a God to be bargained with, as we said. He's a he's a gracious uh, mm. and loving God. But so the, he he definitely points to Christ uh, in in his life story in many ways, Jephthah. Mm. John, what about you? 
Yeah, so I would just do two ways. It kind of just jump on what uh, Jeff said already. I think you do have this rejected savior motif that you have with with Jephthah, and not only that, you see the the um, the questionable origin of of Jephthah. He's the he's the son of a prostitute, mm-hmm. and um, and you parallel. I parallel this with Jesus. His whole life, you know, you can read in the Gospels. His origin kind of followed him around. People basically calling Mary a whore um, and saying, you know, I mean, it, it is one of those things. And I walk through this in the sermon, like, like if somebody said to you, Hey, I'm an unmarried virgin, but I'm pregnant. You would be like, uh, yeah. I don't think yeah. like, I remember we had a friend who, uh, our younger brother had a friend, uh, you know, who was dating a girl and she was late. It was the time of month she was late and she swore to her friends, like we've never, We've never been intimate at all. Maybe I'm just like the Virgin Mary. Oh, and, goodness. Uh, and uh, like, um, probably not, you know. And so <laughs> no, it, just, it, it ended up being just her cycle was off or whatever. So she, she wasn't pregnant and she was telling the truth. But that's how, that's how people would have seen Jesus. And that's how, you know, that's what's following um, Jephthah around is this. He's got this shady origin. He's been rejected by his own. Um and then he's the one who is used to save. And it there's a there's a full fourfold pattern. Um, I think we may have talked about this before. I'll just mention again briefly here. There's a fourfold pattern that Stephen sets out in his defense in Acts chapter seven that we see throughout the Old Testament that that culminates in Christ. And that pattern is that one, God raises up a savior, two, Israel rejects him, three, the Gentiles accept him, and then four, he saves Israel. And that plays out with Joseph. It plays out with Moses. It's going to play out, play out later with David after Jephthah, who goes to the same land, the land of Tob, mm. um, and spends time there, and then becomes back as king. And then ultimately, it culminates in Jesus. Um, that we see, you know, Romans uh, eleven: the Jews have been uh, torn off, the Gentiles have been grafted in, the Jews will be grafted back in, um, and so we see this pattern. And uh, Jephthah is kind of a, you know, a little trailer uh, preview of the pattern. And then the other way that I did it is that I did make these parallels, the, the, the idea of the only child. And so this, this phrase is basically only used uh, of Isaac and uh, Jephthah's daughter and then Jesus, obviously, in the New Testament. And so you have Abraham, who was willing to give up the costliest thing that he had, um, Jephthah kind of hesitates, and then um, on his vow, which I, I think on his vow um, to offer to the temple because it's going to mean the end of his line. And then Jesus, and then God is actually the only one, the only legitimate human sacrifice is Jesus. John three sixteen, God mm-hmm. giving His Son for the salvation of the world. Like Jephthah's daughter, Jesus goes willingly to um, to his fate. And, um, and so that, that's what secures it. God, God offering the costliest thing, um, and, you know, on, on behalf of, of us for our salvation. And so that, that's, that's the second link that I make. And that, I think I might have mentioned something to do about that with the sacrifice. If you took my view, it was a burnt offering of death. This is an offering. Christ offering himself was one that was acceptable to God, unlike the, one and only daughter uh, mm. was an unacceptable, but 
Mm. Yeah, and and that's the thing. All human sacrifice is unacceptable, save the mm. one, you know, of of the Son of God. And so, mm. uh, however you preach it, that needs to be made clear. This is not. There, there's no way to turn human sacrifice into a noble thing. Mm. Jeff, then how did you make it clear? How did you apply it? Uh, you said, obviously, you kind of worked through some of the stuff that we've already talked about, but how did you, yeah, apply it to your folks? Well, as well as in the chapter 10, I, I had a little bit on the side on what is true repentance. And mm. it really, you can say one thing, but it needs to have a change and the change of attitudes, change of idols has to have a complete turning around. Uh, that you don't just do something because you were caught. So I had a little bit of true repentance practically applied in chapter 10. But then in chapter 11, because of the route I, I went, I basically said we need to know God's law because human sacrifice is never allowed. Uh, you might know some of it, but you need to obey it. And we need to know God's mm. word in that he could have got out of the vow. Uh, and so we need to know the truth and not get sucked into the culture again, because I think he was desensitized and was happy to do that whole bargaining thing like other gods would do it. And we might be tempted to do the same or compromise, get desensitized to sin, whether that is in the sexual realm because of the rest of the world is, is doing things uh, uh, and forgetting we need to Need and obey God's word to not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So because I said he didn't obey God's law and didn't uh, follow through and he could have done, uh, applied it in no specific ways. And then more, yeah, how God is a God who we don't bargain with. And, and we could be even doing that, even with our prayers that we pray. Oh, get me out of this jam and I'll, I'll go to church every week, God, and and. Mm-hmm. things like that, uh, we can try and manipulate God and, and we need to be careful uh, with doing that. He's not a vending machine. We put in this, he chucks out that. Uh, he's a gracious God and then brought it to Christ. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the ways I applied it. This podcast is generously sponsored by the Pillar Network. The Pillar Network is a community of SBC and International Baptist churches that are doctrinally aligned missionally driven and committed to equipping, planting, and revitalizing churches together. If you're a pastor of an established church and you're desiring to lead your congregation to plant churches, but you're not sure how to get started, Pillar could be a great resource for you. Reach out to them today at thepillarnetwork.com. Thepillarnetwork.com. John? Yeah. Yeah, so I so with, with the different interpretation this time, the way that I, uh, the, the main idea of the message was be willing to offer all that you have as gratitude for God's love, not bargaining to get it. And so that's kind of how I, so I still probably some similar elements. The issue for me, um, so, so I work first through being convinced of God's great love for you. And so I, I walk through here again, that sevenfold rejection of God and God's sevenfold um, salvation of his people and how even here, even with I, Again, I think it is a show of real repentance, but it doesn't last because you see the way Ephraim turns on Jephthah and, and all those kind of things. And so um, Dale Ralph Davis says about this passage, our hope is not in the sincerity of our repentance, but in the intensity of Yahweh's compassion. And so I so I really just focused on, like, they completely rejected him, and yet he's over and over and over again been gracious to them. 
um, and giving them what they don't deserve. Even here with raising up this rejected savior, just like he's going to do with Jesus. And so the first thing is to be convinced of God's love for you, um, even even in your self-inflicted brokenness. And then that should cause worship. That should cause uh, offering your bodies as a, you know, uh, a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. And so because of that, be willing to offer God all that you have out of gratitude, not bargain. And so I, I walk through here basically and, and using the, the, the laws about vows and then using the, um, um, and then in the wisdom literature about vows and Ecclesiastes, I walk through the issue here with Jephthah is, and the issue with vows is that when you make a vow, what can happen in the, in the, in the brokenness of the human heart is once the danger subsides, once the crisis is over, you are tempted not to follow through on what you said that you were going to do. Mm. And, and uh, so Ecclesiastes talks about this a lot, you know, it's better not to vow than to vow something and then not, and then not follow through with it. And so, that's that's the wrestle that that Jephthah has when he's like, you know, he thought it was going to be somebody else and it's his daughter and he doesn't want to do that. And so what I walk through is just, hey, you know, th- there are times where you can make commitments and you can make vows to the Lord. Uh, and that's not a wrong thing to do. And you should do that. But the question is, are you doing that as a as a as a act of worship of gratitude to God because of what he's done for you? Or are you doing this to try to manipulate him? The vending machine illustration that. Jeff used to try to to try to manipulate him to do something for you in the moment. And so are you making a real, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so I so I just walked through that like, um, you know, you need to you do need to make promises to God. You need to make commitments to God, but not as a means means of manipulation, but as a sacrifice of praise for what he's done. And so and so I just walked through a series of things. It's better to be single than to break your marriage vow. It's it's better to not do, you know, a parent-child dedication if you're not going to prioritize Jesus and the church in your kids' lives. It's better not to commit to a giving campaign if you're not going to finish it out. Um, I'm not saying don't, you know, I'm saying not don't saying I'm not saying don't make commitments. I'm, but I'm saying see Jesus as worthy of the sacrifice of praise in your life and and you you giving him a blank check, so to speak, to use the David Platt language. Is it you know because of what he's done for us? And so I. And so then I, I kind of end it with talking about um, Keller uses this illustration a lot and I've not seen the movie, so I'm not, I could have butchered the illustration a little bit, but he uses, there, there was some movie about Abraham and Isaac um, where when Abraham is, is getting ready to sacrifice Isaac and he, Keller makes clear, this is not in Genesis. This is a kind of a spiritual imagination of, of what's happening in the moment that, that Isaac looks at Abraham and he says, is there, is there nothing that he cannot ask of you? And, and Abraham says, no, there's, there's nothing. And so I kind of, I kind of took that approach of like, because of what he's done, done for you, there's nothing that you should withhold from him. Uh, and that you should, you should be willing to offer everything that you have, your kids for ministry, your life as a living sacrifice, your money for missions, all that, all that kind of stuff. And I used, and I kind of ended using the, the, the uh, illustration, the story of Judson's proposal letter that he sent to mm. Ann's father yeah. and just saying like, Hey, you know, can you, can you part with your daughter for the sake of perishing immortal souls? 
And um, and so that's so that's kind of how I how I approached it with the, given the interpretation that I became convinced mm-hmm. of. Mm, good, Jeff or John, any other thoughts there, um, application wise? Any uh, comments on Ibzon, Elon, Abdon? Because uh, we'll jump let into me, we'll me, jump into Samson next too. time. One thing yeah. I do want to I do want to touch on real quick is the the Ephraim account again. This uh-huh. parallels. The Gideon account where uh, Jeff thought Gideon was in the wrong um, for what he did to Ephraim. <laughs> and here again, I, I see this again as an example. So, so I do see the final three judges. I do, I do see Gideon. I do see Jephthah, the, the, three, the final three major judges. Gideon, and it is, it is interesting, and this is, there's a lot we could talk about here. I'm looking forward to Samson, as all I can say is this <laughs> yeah. unflawed, no, unflawed rescuer. That guy did nothing wrong, according to John. But <laughs> that, in for is, that. that is a that is a uh, <laughs> a cliffhanger right there that you just left him with. But um, but but it is it is instructive for me. The more material that is devoted to a judge, hmm. the more flawed they look. Right, and so that that to me is just. One, speaking of human experience, like the more you get to know people, the more you get to see their flaws and that they're sinners and and, and so forth, no matter how much they love Jesus. Um, and so I, that, that's that's just a side note. But I think to me, there's a the, the, the reason why we're seeing a downward spiral in Israel is because the final three major judges are being opposed by the people of Israel themselves. It's not just it's not just now that the enemies are opposing them. Yeah. They are turning on their own people. And that 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 finds culmination with Samson. They they literally hand him over. Sounds to familiar. The Gentiles. It does sound really familiar. <laughs> um and so that's to me now we're we'll we'll I'll leave Samson because I don't I don't see Samson as as unflawed. Uh, <gasps> but we'll 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 uh, we'll talk about that. But but I do I do see that here. Ephraim turns on Jephthah, and it's not just—it's not just a threat. They're like, "We're going to burn your house down," you know. We're going to burn your house, and so then what ends up happening? And this is tragic. Is forty-two thousand Ephraimites fell. This is, this is—if you go back and do the math, this is two times the number of non-Israelites that have been killed so mm-hmm. far in the book, and so it's almost exactly. I think it's like twenty-one thousand to forty-two thousand, and so it's two times, and so this is showing you how bad things are getting because they're rejecting the saviors yep. that God's raising up. And then his, his six years is not, I mean, obviously I think it's a literal thing, but it's also not accidental. There, there is no Sabbath rest yep. with Jep with Jephthah's mm-hmm. rule. It's just, it's six years. Mm-hmm. It doesn't last very long. And so we are seeing that, that spiral downwards mm-hmm. because the way they treat the savior is the way they treat God. And so now there's no, there's no rest. And, um, so, anyways, we'll get to we'll get to Samson. Yeah, it's good stuff. Any comments, Jeff, on Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, or just we can talk no. a little bit next time, maybe? Okay. Yeah, I do. I do think you see this. You see in the minor judges. One thing I'll just say real quick. You see in the minor judges again this tendency towards these are guys that God uses, okay, and that are saviors, and that's clear. Um, but they're not unflawed to use Jeff, uh, Jeff's. Um, wording, and you see this tendency towards in 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 both sections of the minor uh, judges, this tendency towards trying to become kings like the kings of the nations, and so you see polygamy and the 
you know, uh, multiplication of sons and grandsons and riding on on donkeys, which is a royal image. And so you see this kind of it, the issue is going to be, as we're going to see at the end of the book of Judges, that there's no king in Israel. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. But the issue is not that just that Israel needs a king, but they need a king not like the kings of the nations. That's good. That's good. Well, next time we will pick up the most well-known judge, uh, Samson, uh, flawed, but nonetheless in Hebrews 11. So uh, mm, thanks for listening to the. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> just got to read. Just got to read your Bible. We've got to uh, we've got to do a series on Hebrews next so that, so that Jeff can tell me how wrong the writer was. <laughs> uh, I just finished the series on it, actually. So, yeah, that'd be good. Okay, we could do that. <laughs> that'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources. Mm-hmm.